My name is Owen Flynn and welcome to episode 7 of the Trail Running Ireland podcast. It's been a bad week on the international racing front as some of the world's biggest trail running races as far out as October and December have been cancelled but thankfully back home we have a green light for real racing as the summer racing season finally gets underway. We've all the racing news from Simon Kelly from the Waterford Trail Running Festival as well as news on some fascinating solo running attempts taking place in Wicklow and Kerry. Rene Borg takes a deep dive on one of the most important training sessions you can do as you get ready for racing and for this week's feature interview we speak with Nicola Duncan as she tells us her amazing story of how once she was the hottest property on the roads back in 2013 and 2014 but how her running dreams turned into an injury nightmare but now how she has been reborn on the mountains and is the current Irish and Scottish ultra trail running champion everybody get your running gear on let's go Hey everybody, how's it going? Hope you're all keeping well and enjoying your training. And isn't it great to be back out with your club mates and your friends over the last couple of weeks? And finally, we have some real races to look forward to. We've got a great podcast lined up for you guys this week as well. We've got a really interesting interview with Nicola Duncan, who was the fastest Irish woman on the roads back in 2013 and 2014 when she rocked out a 2.33 in the London Marathon in 2014. She was about to go global. She was going to try and go for a sub 2.30 marathon. But unfortunately, injuries just put pay to that attempt. She had to go and rebuild. And boy, did she make a comeback. And now she is the current ultra trail running champion in both Scotland and in Ireland. She's got a fascinating story to tell and some great tips later on in her interview with us. Before we go to Simon Kelly, our man on the ground, to find out exactly what is going on in the racing calendar, a big shout as always and a big thank you to Eco Trail Wicklow who are our show sponsor they have a green light for September 26th with races from 18k up to 80k the racing spots are filling up fast so make sure to check them out on Facebook Instagram Twitter and their Eco Trail Wicklow website as well if you fancy having a fantastic run a fantastic day in Bray and all around the trails of Wicklow come September 26th so let's go and have a chat with Simon about the Racing calendar, Simon Kelly. Simon Kelly from the Waterfall Trail Running Festival. Simon, welcome back. Great to have you on board again. Hey, Owen, how are you doing? Not too bad, Simon. I believe it's been a, a good, busy two weeks for you down below in Kerry with the holiday homes back open again. Great to see the, the local economy um, up and running. Absolutely, and I suppose from my perspective, it means my head torch is getting a lot of work on the trails at night. It's the only opportunity I get to run now. Sure, sure. And just out of curiosity, um, Simon, the, the guests that you have down in Waterfall at the moment, is it mainly Irish guests or do you have any international guests? 
Listen, it's all domestic owned. There's no international travelers at all. Um, we very early on contacted all of our international guests and basically offered them their free cancellations and refunds just to make sure that they weren't feeling committed to try and travel and also make it easy for them to, I suppose, be careful, err on the side of caution and not kind of internationally travel um, and bringing people down. So, yeah, lots of domestic guests. It's all the Irish here. And we're very busy, which is really nice to see. And we're getting very positive feedback from guests that they feel safe and comfortable, which is the most important thing. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully you're, you're getting your training in, as you said, Simon, as well. I know that from talking to you sometimes during the week, you'll be on a treadmill when everything is done and dusted for the day. You could be running your 20 to 30 to 40 kilometers late at night on a treadmill after 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. Um, so fair play for the dedication. Absolutely. I was out in the trails and had a random encounter with someone at half one in the morning on the Kerry Way who was out doing a recce for the Kerry Way Ultra. So a wonderful experience to meet someone like that in the pitch dark with a head torch. Well, speaking of races, I'm, there's lots of good things happening at the moment um, in Ireland. So, and better than what's going on in an international racing context, which I'll talk about later on. But looking forward to hearing some of the good news from the domestic racing calendar. Yeah, well, there's loads happening on. I mean, I started last uh, episode talking about the Wicklow round, and sure enough, I said there'd be a few more attempts, and there absolutely have been. Um, Thomas Roach went out last weekend uh, on Saturday, July 4th. Now, the weather was against Thomas. It made it a really tough challenge, but he was motoring well. He was keeping on target for the 24. However, towards the end, navigation error unfortunately put him off route. He had to get back, but real steel and determination shown that he stuck to the route, he stuck to completing, missed the 24-hour cutoff for an official Wicklow round, but he came in one hour and 30 minutes over time, so in 25 hours, 38 minutes in what was incredibly tough conditions. Takes a strong mind to do that and massive respect. I'm sure Thomas will be back to get the feather in his cap again. Fair play to Thomas Simon, and I know you've got your eyes fixed on Wicklow this weekend again. Uh, well, absolutely. First of all, there's an attempt starting tomorrow, which is uh, Ivana Colerick. Now, I don't know, or it's probably Colerich. Um, I don't know her personally, but she's bidding to join the group of successful completers starting at half one in the morning tomorrow, which is the 11th, Saturday the 11th. And the one that I'm really I have to say, biased and excited about is our very own Paul O'Callaghan. He's the assistant race director here in the Waterville Trail Running Festival. He's out in the hills running at the moment, but he's not taking on the Wicklow round. He's going for a double. So that's 52 mountain peaks in 48 hours. It's going to be approximately 220, kilo or 220 kilometers of running, but the big jaw drop is 12 thousand meters of vertical gain in that time so to say i'm excited is a pretty big understatement and is, I mean, is that the first ever time that somebody has tried to do the double the double wicklow round so it's not the first attempt there was john murray attempted it last year and he didn't complete so if Paul gets around, it would be the first successful completion of a double Wicklow round. And again, a step on pushing the bar and raising the standards and really laying this down. It's been attempted, never been completed. So I'm 
actually keeping an eye on Paul. I am his safety, remote safety, um, down here in Waterville, seeing how he's going, making sure and checking in. But he's running totally solo, self-supported, carrying everything himself. It's a massive, massive undertaking. But if anyone can deliver this, I'm confident that Paul will be the man to do it. And Simon, if I was to put you on the spot, I mean, how hard is it? Do you think it's possible? It's possible, absolutely. Uh, you need to have a lot going for you. The weather conditions are good. However, they say that to get a good day for the Wicklow round, any day is a good day, as long as it's been dry for three weeks before it's sunny. It's not that windy and the temperatures are okay. So, yeah, you need a lot of stars to align to get there. Sure. Uh, well, listen, hopefully he makes it. And, Paul, if by any chance you're... You're listening to this podcast. You've got the whole of the trail running and mountain running community in Ireland behind you. So keep on going, mate. We hope you make it, Paul. And looking forward to hearing Simon the updates on Paul's attempt, maybe in the next episode. And I believe Kevin Leahy down in Kerry is attempting something not too dissimilar. Yeah, well, Kevin is uh, attempting a totally new route. Um, so tomorrow, Saturday the 11th, he's going to be the first runner to attempt what's going to be called the Ancient Warriors Trail. So it's a 106-kilometer challenge. It starts just down the road from Waterville here. Um, it's actually at a Bronze Age wedge tomb at Kumakishta, and it's just a few k. so I might pop up and see him off. Now, he's leaving bright and early at 5.30 a.m., and then he will finish at Kate Kearney's cottage for a knock on the door and a celebratory pint, if all goes well. The big note is that the route takes in all of the peaks of the McGillicuddy Reeks, which obviously is the highest mountain range in Ireland. It's never been attempted, so this is absolute new ground for Kevin. And Kevin's actually opening this up so that he'll share the GPX and anyone can go on and attempt it in the future then. And his idea is that everyone can share, become part of the community, and at the end of each year, there'll be a celebration of anyone who's completed it and maybe some awards for the fastest completions. She's a brilliant, brilliant idea, great initiative, and uh, some man, he must be made of steel, Kevin, to get over those 106 kilometres, hopefully he does it okay. And thankfully, Simon, we've come a long way from our 5k virtual races of lockdown, and we've got some real immer races to look forward to next weekend. Absolutely, and I mean, I'm fortunate they're, they're very close to me down here. The Reek skyline we talked about before on the 18th of July it's going into the McGillicuddy Reeks. It's almost sold out. Now, this is a really challenging course, so much so that there is a pre-screening that you can only enter on application. But they've just six places left last time I looked out of 60. So there's a huge interest. The net, very next day, the Karen Tool Classic is on the 19th of July, and that's sold out. It's sold out in a couple of days. I mean, people are chomping at the bit. And as we mentioned last uh, episode, Imra were also adding a Leinster-based event, which was a Lugnaquilla race. That sold out in a couple of days as well. So, I mean, if you can get a race entry, get out, get the trainers on and enjoy it because everything is selling out. And what I really, really like to see is Imra are keeping the numbers really small. They're being very careful to deliver safe and enjoyable races and being really responsible in how they're taking it on. It's no surprise. That's how they operate. They are responsible and they do look after the environment and also the runners. Uh, it's great to see, Simon. It's great to see races back up and running domestically back home in Ireland. 
because internationally, Simon, things aren't as good. Let me give you a couple of examples over the last week or two that of races that have been cancelled because there's been very little good news, unfortunately, internationally. At the start of October, the Salomon Ultra Pyreneo and the big one in La Palma, a race that has lots of sponsorship, big funding behind it, the famous Transvolcania. Both scheduled for the start of October. They were originally due, I think, for April and May, and both were postponed to October. They've both already been cancelled. The Transvolcania, I know, was a political decision that was made at a local level. So the choice was taken away from the race organisers, if you like, and it was the local politicians that said that they just did not want their island being exposed. And they actually quoted four countries, Simon, in their press release. They said, with borders to the following countries, USA, Brazil, Russia and Mexico, still closed, we do not see it possible in October to have a race that will be safe for our runners, participants, organisers, etc. So a big decision, and I just wonder, will the rest of the big international races scheduled for October and November, will they follow suit as well? I think a lot will be revealed over the next week or two. Even further afield then, and even further along in the annual calendar, in December, the UTMB Oman race, which has been a great success over the last two years. I've been over there myself working at it. Um, a, a beautiful country, really, really great event, really well organised by an Irish man as race director, Joe Rafferty, who did a great job there um, last year with it. That's already been cancelled for December. And then finally, mm-hmm. the big one that I picked up as well was the Bad Water 135 miler in the United States, which was scheduled for the 60th to the 8th of July. Up until the last moment, Simon, they were saying, we're going to push on, we're going to push on, we're going to have the race. And they cancelled it literally, I think maybe two to three days before the race happened. And not surprising, given the figures that are coming out of America over the last couple of weeks. But I just thought I'd mention it because for the future, hopefully in the years to come when, you know, we're back in a safe environment, for anybody that loves a challenge listening in, like this one here, 135 miles through Death Valley in the US, they start off at the lowest point below sea level in North America, 86 metres below sea level, and they climb as high as 2,530 metres to Mont, Mont Whitney in the US. So maybe one for the future for you, Simon. Maybe. I think it's a bit far afield, but uh, I'd love to at some point take it on. It is one of the epic races, all right. Yeah, so I mean, as you can see, Simon, internationally, not good news. So that's why I was delighted to hear you saying that there's lots of um, positive news coming from back home. And just before we sign off, Simon, um, any races just to keep an eye on that are due to come up over the next couple of months that are worth noting? Yeah, just a rundown, I suppose, touching on what we spoke about in the last episode, the Seven Sisters Marathon and Half Marathon on the 28th of July in Donegal. The Kerryway Ultra Festival in September, first weekend in September. There's a range of events there. Um, obviously, the Dublin Mountain Trail Festival, which is the 28th, or sorry, 27th and 28th of November. So there's plenty going on, plenty of live stuff out there. And if anyone listening 
has any news of other new events or any other events out there that we've missed, they can get in touch by Facebook on the Trail Running Ireland Facebook and drop us a message, I suppose, and we can include it in the future episodes. Yeah, absolutely, Simon. We'd love to hear from the listeners. Well, listen, Simon, it's been a pleasure as always. Great to hear that the holiday homes down in Waterfield are back up and running, and we look forward to talking to you in a couple of weeks' time. Excellent. Thanks, Emil. Take care and enjoy your running. Thanks, Simon. All the best. My name's Sarah McCormack. My name is Brian Fury. My name is Nicola Duncan. My name is Zach Hanna. My name is Mark Ryan. I'm a mountain runner. 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 Hi, my name is Harriet and I'm a mountain runner. You're listening to Trail Running Ireland. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And there we go. We have just heard the voices of the Irish Trail and Mountain Running Team. And it's the part of the show where we want to help you, the trail runners of Ireland and abroad, make your dreams come true and make you the best possible runner that you can be. And to do that, we have, as always, our running coach, our coaching expert, Rene Borg. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Owen. How are you now? Good, Rene, good. Getting over a little injury that I had, Rene, so I'm in good form today. All right, yeah. The last two weeks when I was struggling a bit, to be honest, but thankfully getting back on track. And uh, I've got a couple of weeks easy running ahead of me before maybe speeding things up in August and September. And fingers crossed, probably ready to race, I say, maybe mid-end of September. Just in time, Ben. Just in time for for the big races of the autumn, if they get to go ahead. Hopefully they will. Um, and speaking of races, uh, Rene, such an important factor of training and preparing for racing are sessions. Now, when we're on the road, we tend to do a lot of 1K reps, 2K reps, even 400-meter track sessions. But when we go onto the mountains and the trails, a key session that you've mentioned to me is hill reps. It's something that I've incorporated over the years. It's so important. It's a session that I love. And I know today you wanted to take a real deep dive on hill reps and hill repeats. Yeah, that's right. So I, I never forget the first time someone brought me along for a, a hill rep session. Uh, it was actually was a it was a guy called Dermot Murphy, who is a very long-term IMRA member, and it was on the very steep paths at Cronewood, and I thought it was the toughest, the most painful thing I'd ever done. Um, but there, are, there is an art to it, and it doesn't have to be <laughs> as, as murderous as, as I felt it was. It, it's a very good session, but I think if we just take a kind of a step back from it, because there might be people listening, you know, where they're not even familiar with what's called interval training. Um, and basically, you know, Early in the 1900s, we have this reference to a training where runners would break up the run that they did into separate parts where they had a rest in between, you know, and, and that's basically all an interval session is, you know, there's a rest interval between harder segments or repeats or repetitions of running. So that's where all the names come from, you know, hill reps and hill repeats. And the, the basic idea with any session like that is that if you split up your hard running with some breaks, then you can do more of the hard running. You know, so if you go to your local hill and you run up it as hard as you can, maybe you'll only last 
20 minutes. But if you say, oh, I'm actually going to split it into some parts and I'm going to take a jog recovery between each, then maybe by the end of your session, you have actually run up that hill for 30 minutes at a hard effort. So that's the basic idea of any kind of interval training. Yeah. Um, and a key part, Rene, is the recovery part of those interval trainings. And apologies if I'm jumping ahead here. I'm sure you have it in your notes. Um, but there's a lot of debate whether recovery should be done on time between your hill reps, your interval sessions, or should it be done on heart rate? As in, do we rest for 90 seconds, two minutes, whatever it might be, or do we wait until our heart rate comes back down from maybe it's 160, 170 beats to a standard number that I often see is 120. So what, what's your opinion on that? Well, so the 120 number comes from the, I think it comes from the interval training um, in the 1950s, if I remember right. It was a very particular form of interval training where they, they had started to use heart rate monitors more regularly. So they that's how they would do it. They would run hard and they would have the athlete stand still until the heart rate went under 120 and then they'd go again. But interval training has kind of evolved away from that and more towards what's called um, an incomplete recovery, which means that you know they, there's not one magic number you're shooting for. You just make sure that there's enough recovery between the intervals that you can repeat the effort you're looking for for enough repeats you know and what is enough you know there's not a clear you know it's if you set out to do let's say you're in the plan it says five or six times two minutes uphill with let's say a one minute jog down recovery that's just an example the idea is that that one minute should be sufficient that all of those five or six repeats are roughly at the same quality you know so it's not that you run for the first two you know you're running much further up the hill than for the last three so that that's really all that there's not a magic figure you know it's generally wouldn't for most runners today they don't really utilize looking at that but you kind of need to get your breath back sure and it is is it a little bit harder to measure that on the mountains Rennie, in terms of the quality of the rep um because, for example, if we're on the road or on the flat, and if we have to do eight by one k, we know that our one k time should be maybe within, say, let's say five seconds. Each rep should be within five seconds of the previous rep. Now, you said there when we're doing mountain hill reps, each rep needs to be of the same quality. So, for those maybe who are new to hill reps or who are just going to start on hill reps over the next couple of weeks, or even the more experienced hill runners, how do we know that we're keeping those reps to the same standard, to the same quality? Is it by feel? Is it by heart rate? Because distance, maybe we can't do distance because every section of a hill might be steeper, might be a little bit harder to run up or whatever. So, what would you advise on that? Well, let's start with an example of the most common type of hill rep session that exists, which is called the 1-1, one, one, which consists basically of you run hard uphill for one minute and then you jog back down for one minute. Um, that's a very easy session for, for a number of reasons. The first is that the, the effort is described you know, subjectively, so hard, which sometimes what coaches will tell 
runner says, think about your 3K to 5K race effort. So if you have experience with 3K and 5K races, you basically need to use the memory of how intense does that feel. And that's what I'm trying to, to hit at. So that would be a classical example. And then because you in the one one type of workout, you, you could run up you know, one hill and keep running up and down and up and down as you go ahead. But if you want to see how, I'm, how does each rep compete, compare to the last one, you could run up the same stretch every time because that way you can see, am I getting to the same point or am I starting to drop further and further away from the point I hit in the first rep? And that would then tell me that you know, I'm, I'm fading now. The quality is fading. So either I went off too hard for the first few or I've just reached the end of my abilities today. So it's about time to stop now. Okay. And a key question, Rennie, as well. How many reps should we be doing in our hill rep session? For example, let's give the example of Eco Trail come September. Um, they're long distances. They're ranging from 18K right up to, to 80K. So say somebody who's doing a long ultra, a long trail race, um, 20K and above. How many reps should they be doing? And do they get benefits, say, from a 10 by one minute, where in reality, come race day, they're probably going to be running over the mountains for anywhere from two to four to eight hours. So is there any benefit in a 10 by one minute hill rep session? I've, it's it's best to take a few steps back to answer that, um, because yeah. I mentioned at the start of it as well, that there's something called hill sprints. So you've got hill sprints and you've got hill reps. Um, the difference, a hill sprint is very, very short, 6 to 10, 12 seconds, and that's because a sprint is obviously when you try to run at your max effort, so the maximum power output, and that is something because of the energy system that's related to that type of output, it's something you can maintain for a very short period of time. Um, and you could say, well, that's completely useless, you know, because that's that's not related to running up a hill for any length of time, you know, to go up for 6 or 10 minutes. But if we look at that type of workout, we say, well, what does it do? You know, and that goes for hill reps too. It is increasing the amount of muscular recruitment that you do as you run. So you learn to recruit more muscles and to exert more force against the hill. So basically what it does to you is it builds your strength and it builds your power. And the higher your strength and your power is, the higher all of your average paces become. Now, what's important once you know that is that as you get closer to race day, you need to transform this type of general power and strength to something specific. So usually the way we work it into a plan is that very early in the plan, we bring in the hill sprints because they're really short and the breaks are really long in between. So they, because it's a, it's a max effort, you need full recovery. So that means three to four, even five minutes of jogging. And then you do another six to 10 seconds, you know, uh, on the hill that builds up your maximum strength then the next step would be let's get in some hill reps so you could start with something like the 30 seconds up 30 seconds down or the one one that i just mentioned because that's kind of a natural progression from you know running sprinting uphill because now it's a bit slower let's say 3k 5k intensity but it's also a good bit longer and the recovery is is now not complete so as you're moving into the training plan you make these longer again so you could for instance say well now let's do three minutes uphill and that obviously the longer you make the rep the slower they naturally get but it's important to know this is not there to directly you know go in and influence your race it's there to make you stronger so you can run uphill better 
in the more specific workouts. So very good examples of how that transfers in your plan is you might be doing long trail runs over hills and you might be doing some steady uphill running. You know, for instance, you might do runs where you say, oh, I'm going to run uphill 20 minutes steady or medium effort. You know, so it's not hard, but you're pushing a little bit. You can feel it in the muscles. Those hill reps, what they do is they make that workout easier and that other workout then makes your race easier. So it's kind of like a way of saying everything is connected in training. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. Can you give us, Renny, maybe an example of a typical hill rep session? Say um, for one of the Leinster League races, for example, that uh, the guys in Imre organised do a great job organising over the summer months. They're typically maybe anything from what, from 8K to 12K maybe. Can you give us maybe an example of a typical hill rep session to get ready for a Leinster League race, a Munster League race, for example? Yeah, I'd like to give you two, actually, Owen, if you don't mind. So the, yeah. the first one is, an, is a bit different than what I just described. It's a workout I started using about um, a year ago because it was in this book I've mentioned before, um, Training for the Uphill Athlete. Um, it comes from, it's a workout where you pick a very steep hill, really steep, as it often is in races. Yeah. Um, and you run up it at kind of a grinding, steady effort for eight to ten minutes. And what you're looking for is not to get out of breath straight away, as you would often do in the shorter hill reps and the hill sprints. You're looking for that low-level burn in your muscles, you know, your leg muscles primarily, that tells you, oh, this is really working the muscles. That's what we're trying to isolate. This is um, – you then obviously jog back down again, and you repeat that in the beginning just twice, but eventually you try and work up to, you know, 30 to 40 minutes of uphill grinding, yeah. And and that's more of a stamina muscular workout, which give you that strength that you need in an IMRA race where, you know, quite often you are running uphill for at least 20 minutes. But for most people, it's substantially more, you know, even in the shorter races, a lot of people will be climbing for 40 minutes. Sure. So, so you need, so by, so this is generally how I approach workout design Owen, for hill runners is I look at the, the race they have to do. Um, so I, I've mentioned, for instance, I work with Jason Keogh, um, who has been Irish champion and who's taking on the Carantua Classic actually next week. So for him in a race like that, we look at how much time is he going to spend climbing and how much time is he going to spend descending for the time we want him to run. Now, and I don't want to give away what time he's planned. You know, I don't want to ruin his, his race plans. But let's say for sake of example, we, th- we have a runner that we think will need to get to the summit of Carantua in 65 minutes. You know, then we know that that runner needs to be climbing at a reasonable effort for 65 minutes. So the, the last workout I would design would split up those 65 minutes into pieces, such as it could be 10 by 6 minutes or more likely 6 by 10 minutes, yeah. which is, is quite extensive. You know, that's a very extensive repetition session, not for beginners. But obviously, the intensity of a session like that would not be as high as if the one we mentioned at the beginning, you know, where you do 10 or 20 minutes of one minute up, one minute down. Sure. And what's your recovery, Rene, in that type of session? Say for somebody who, yeah, who has a 60-minute climb, very typical across a lot of mountain races. If you're doing six by 10 minutes, are you actually saying to come back down the 10 minutes that you've climbed up? So you might you might have a five or six-minute job back down. Is it that long, the recovery between your 10-minute slots, or are you keeping it to 90 seconds, two minutes? We keep it shorter, Owen, just because, first of all, the, the intensity is not so high in the long reps. 
Um, so you don't need as much recovery. You know, you know yourself, if you're doing a steady, let's say 10 minutes in on the flat, you don't feel like you don't need five minutes recovery after that. You know, after about two minutes, one minute, you're ready to do the same thing again. So we do substantially less because otherwise the session becomes too long. Um, I should say to people, you know, if you do, if you have very long climbs, like that you know let's say in an ultra like an 80k you might have to do you know four hours of climbing you can't split you can't split that into repetitions you know there's a certain sanity limit where you have to look at the session and say is this actually a long run you know is it really just a long run with some fast uphill yeah you know then that's what you do and otherwise you have to keep it within you know a reasonable amount of time such as an hour and often the way to to do it then is to say, well, look, we have to split the stimulus, you know, so on the one, this is what often happens is, you know, he, if you have a person who needs to climb long, but he also needs to climb hard, sometimes we actually have to work that in two different sessions. So for instance, let's use Jason as an example. We might take one day during the week where we say, look, we're going to do three times 10 minutes hard uphill. And that's only half of the climb. But then during the weekend, we work on the endurance, you know, maybe we will have a long steady climb as part of a longer run. So just because, you know, with intervals, you can only get so far before it gets ridiculous in terms of the time you need to set aside. Yeah, sure. And I have to be honest, Rene, I'm getting excited talking about these type of sessions because, you know, running, it's all about fun as well. And I've been doing these type of hill sessions for oh, for more than 10 years now. And I absolutely love them. Um, and, you know, if any of our listeners haven't tried them before, um, do get out there and maybe, you know, start off with 10 by two minutes or, as you said earlier, 10 by one minute with a one-minute one recovery. Because it's so much fun just pounding up a mountain and, you know, getting to the top after a good, solid workout. It's a, it's a great feeling. Um, it really is. And I know one of the like the key hill rep session that myself and my good mate Mark Ryan used to do when we were trying to get ready for Irish trial races was something like maybe um, 12 to 15 by two minutes with one minute recovery at the back of Marty Park there going up on the hills, which is a great area for doing short, sharp hill rep sessions. And it just got us so fit. And it's actually funny because Jerry Kiernan used to always bring his track training group on that same stretch of climb as well to get his track runners ready for the track. And he'd have his track guys doing those hill reps right up until April or May. With the track season, I mean, in June and July, he'd still have his guys doing hill reps at that time of the year because of what you said earlier, Rene, just the strength that those hill sessions give. Yeah, like that's the main benefit, of course. And that's where hill, like ironically, I I believe that's where hill reps came from. You know, they used to be kind of a pre-interval session preparation for track and road runners because one they built the strength and the power which you can then transfer onto the the flat speed so they came earlier in the program for road runners you know and if there's any road runners listening you know this is how you should implement them you need to put them before your flat intervals but it's also because they're safer because the impact on the uphill is not as high and that goes for the sprints as well you know, it's much safer to try to learn to sprint uphill, even though it sounds silly, but it's easier because the, the, the resistance of the hill will keep you under control a bit and it keeps the impact force lower than if you go straight away to sprint on the flat. 
Um, and this is a huge benefit for runners because one of the things that really afflicts, I think, all of us endurance runners is that we lose muscle mass because running is what's called a catabolic exercise. It means it breaks down proteins in the body. So if all you ever do is running on the flat, then eventually you, you will waste more and more and more muscle, especially if you do nothing else. You know, if you have no manual job, if you do no resistance training. But hills, they're kind of a natural antidote because they put that pressure on the muscles. So anyone who does lots of hills and has access to lots of hills, their requirement for doing resistance training in many cases falls to nearly zero. Yeah. Yet the hills can kind of be a replacement for the gym. And I think that's wonderful because personally, I, I don't like uh, gyms very much. So for me, it's kind of, it's, it's great to know that I can go out in the hills instead and I can build my muscles. Yeah, and as good as hill reps are, Remy, as well, I think it is important to say to the listeners that they're wonderful, they're so much fun, they make you so strong, great for injury prevention, but it doesn't mean that we therefore spend the whole season doing hill reps because they're of all those good points. That, for example, when we spoke to Pablo Villa in episode two, Pablo Villa, who won the um, TDS and UTMB last summer, he was saying that, yeah, he'll do lots and lots of hill reps and hill running, but he'll always try to do at least maybe once every three weeks, once every four weeks, a good quality speed session on the flat. So we don't use those fast switch muscle fibers. And again, all trail races, they'll have ups and downs, but they'll also have flat sections as well. So if you can maintain that flat speed and combine with your hill strength, you're going to have some race. Yeah, I think for the specialized, especially IMRA runners and, and more mountain than trail runners out there, this is the weakness that most of them have, you know, and that's quite evident in a lot of races. If there is a flat stretch, there's a lot of them that just can't keep up the pace uh, and they then lose spots that they have had to work really hard on. Um, but even for the variety, I, I think, you know, unless you're a real mountain goat and your whole life has been spent in the hills, um, you will probably not adapt very well to daily hill running. There are a few examples in history of, of kind of runners who defied that. Yeah, as Colin Donnelly is one, if you want to look him up. Billy Bland is another. So there's a few people who, who can work like that. But for most of us, we need those flat runs in between, you know, to first of all maintain our flat speed, but also just to give the, give the muscles a break so that they can work harder, you know, and build back. Because if you only hammer the muscles... Uh, then they are never going to have any time to build back stronger than they were before. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, Renny, it's been a great deep dive on Hill Reps. Um, before we finish off, was there anything else that you wanted to say about them? Or I think we, we covered most of it. Yeah, I think we covered most of it. There were some things about sprint technique and relaxation that I think we can talk about maybe in, in future ones because I think we got really into the hill reps here and the, the poor sprints, I think, were left a bit in the lobby on. But I think that's good news because then we can we have another topic for another podcast. Yeah, no, it's been great today, Rene. And I know you've been very busy just over the last couple of days as well, getting the Eco Trail training plans ready to go. Yes, I had to face a few what's called Microsoft-related issues with my computer, which really set me back, but I'm glad to report that I managed to fix it. So now I'm just kind of working to catch up. And we are hoping, we are uploading the plans now here and during the weekend. And the plans will start Monday. So it means if you're, if you're eager to get the free EcoTrail plans, you know, check the site. There'll be an announcement anyway, but check the site Saturday and Sunday. Look for a new um, link on the practical information called training plans, and there should be PDFs for you to download. You know, I'm going to work double time to make sure they all get up. 
And um, yeah, if there's any questions, you know, we there'll be plenty of ways to engage with us um, about them. But I hope people anyway will will enjoy them once they come out. Super. No, that's great, Vinny. And just for people maybe listening during the week, that's Monday the 13th. Monday the 13th of July, those eco-trail training plans will be ready. Rene, as always, I feel like I've been talking to an encyclopedia of training. Um, superb knowledge as always, Rene. It's great to have you on board. And if anybody wants to get in touch with Rene, you can get him on Facebook on Running Coach Ireland. He also has his own website as well. And I know there's a couple of new projects and exciting developments over the next couple of weeks and over the next couple of months for that as well so make sure to to check Rene out there Rene as always an absolute pleasure thank you Owen Time for our feature interview of episode seven, and it's an absolute privilege to have on the show one of the great role models in Irish trail running at the moment, Nicola Duncan from Taylor's Hill in Galway. Nicola has an amazing story to tell. She's the current Scottish and Irish ultra trail running champion, but back in 2013 and 2014, she was the fastest Irish lady on the roads. She ran an incredible one hour, 12 minutes in the half marathon in Barcelona and followed that up a couple of weeks later in London with 2 hours 33 minutes and ranks her ninth overall in the Irish all-time marathon list. She thought she could go on and maybe run a 2 hours 29 but unfortunately injuries destroyed those dreams. She went off the radar for a couple of years as she rebuilt her legs, rebuilt her body and boy has she made a comeback and now she is a regular on podiums all over the UK and Ireland and she represented Ireland twice last year in the trail and World Long Distance Mountain Running Championships. It's an absolute privilege to have on the show, Nicola Duncan. Nicola Duncan, you're very welcome to Trail Running Ireland. Thanks, Owen. How are you doing? Good to be on. Thank you. Yeah, keeping well, Nicola, keeping well. Um, got back training this week, as I was saying to Remy, after a couple of injury um, troubles. So delighted to be back running, you know yourself. I know, that's brilliant news. Now, delighted to hear that myself, so it's good. Yeah, well, listen, Nicola, you've got a, an incredible story to tell and um, just a, a nice, easy one, maybe just to kick things off. Um, you've been based over in Edinburgh for That's the last right. maybe over 10 years now. So yeah. how did a proud Galway girl from Taylor's Hill end up in Edinburgh? It's a good question. So it'll be 17 years in October, actually. So um, I did my undergrad in Galway in financial maths and economics. Um, and I went over to Edinburgh to do a master's in actuarial science because the university Herit Watt is was worldwide renowned for their actuarial science course. So um, I'd never been to Edinburgh before um, had no never been to Scotland before. Um, so it was, yeah, it was a bit scary at the time. And I think I was there about 24 hours and I was like, I love it here. Um, and everybody in the course was applying for jobs for the next year. You know, where you kind of apply for postgraduate um, or graduate roles, rather, when you're still studying. So I was like, oh, I might as well start applying for these jobs. So I'd been in Edinburgh for about four weeks and I had a job lined up for the following year when I finished the master's. So, yeah, so it was a, and here I still am. 
Yeah, and Edinburgh, it's, uh, it's been home to many running conquests over the last 17 years and so on. Yeah. I'm sure we'll touch on some of them, Nicola, now over the next 45 minutes or so. Because as I was saying, you've got this incredible running story to tell um, from a world-class international road marathon runner to a trail runner now who has been cleaning up over the trails um, in Ireland and in Scotland over the last couple of years. Um, for example, last year in 2019, you were the Irish and the Scottish ultra trail running champion. And I know from talking to you during the week that you just casually dropped in that you knocked out an easy 33 miler last weekend as you went to visit your uh, friend uh, as if it was nothing, as if you were running 3K down the road. Um, but before we maybe get to your trail running adventures and your trail running performances and wins, you have this incredible road running story to tell as well. Because back in 2013, 2014, you were the hottest property on the road, Nicola, in terms of five milers, half marathons and marathons. So maybe could you tell us how you got to that level in 2013, 2014, where you went from a, a novice runner to an international class marathon runner within three or four years? It's a very good question. I mean, how I got into running was kind of by accident. I've always been a tennis player. So my background was always tennis and I played at a high level. I played for Connacht um, under 18 and at senior level. Um, and when I went over to Edinburgh, the first thing I did was join a tennis club and um, I played for East Scotland, which would be the equivalent of playing for your province. Um, and then one of my friends, so I was always very fit and on the tennis court, I had a good engine, you know, I was, I was a player you never wanted to play if you were having a bad day, because <laughs> I yeah. never, I never gave up, I would just run down everything, so I always had that kind of base as such, and then one of my tennis pals had a space for a 10k in Edinburgh, and she couldn't do it, so she said, do you want to use my space, so I was like, yeah, why not, so I rocked up in my tennis case with shoes, and I had a bright yellow hoodie. I remember it was an animal yellow hoodie. And I ran the 10K and I just sweated so much. I was dying. But I, and I broke 40 minutes. And everybody was just like, how did that happen? <laughs> so, um, yeah, and I was like, oh, I'm, I couldn't walk for a week afterwards. Um, but I, I just never thought that I was a good runner. It was quite new to me because I didn't run when I was a child. I didn't, you know, I wasn't just one of the sports I did. So I kind of had no idea that I was a good runner. Um, so I kind of, the next year, I think I did the same 10K again. It was just a bit quicker, just from experience. I didn't wear the yellow hoodie. <laughs> and, um, yeah. and then one of my colleagues at the time said, we should do a marathon. So I entered the Edinburgh Marathon, but I was still playing so much tennis, so I didn't even really train for it properly when I look back. I used to go for one run a week on a Friday after work. I used to go around Arthur's seat, um, probably doing maybe about up to 10 miles. And then for about four weeks before the marathon, I did longer runs on a Sunday. Um, and that was it. <laughs> yeah. I went to so <laughs> do you think, Nicola, that it was just this natural, undiscovered talent that you had? 
Um, and it, did you have to make a choice maybe between trying to progress your, your tennis um, career? Because I know I think at one stage you were top five junior um, in, in Ireland. Um, so did you have to choose? Did you have to say, OK, I've gone as far as I can in tennis yeah. And wow, it looks like I have a bit of a natural talent here for running, knocking out a, a sub 40 10K um, with little or no training. Yeah, it's a, that's a good question. So it was after I had done my, I'd done a few marathons and I was still taking, and I had just joined a club. So I joined a club after I did the second marathon in 249. And I still wasn't training properly for it. I was still running on the Friday after work and doing a longer run on a Sunday, coming up to the event and playing loads of tennis. Um, but, I, I, you know, the first marathon I did was 2.58. And then the next one was 2.49. So everybody was like, well, you should join a club. So I joined a local club, which is Portobello. And I just got loved it. I mean, I'd never ran with the club before and it was so much fun. The training session and all the races they did. I turned into the racing queen. I was racing every single weekend. It was great crack. But of course, then I got injured. So um, it was after I got injured that I decided uh, I fractured my pelvis, actually. So I decided once that was kind of healed to give up tennis, I kind okay. of I wasn't going to get any better at my tennis, but I f- could feel like I, I had scope to get better at my running. So that was kind of when I decided, let's just focus on running. And uh, I put away my tennis rackets, which was very strange for me. Yeah, some- sure. Tennis- a, 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 bit of a, a bit of a leap of faith in, yeah. in some mm. regards, you know, to, to leave behind your passion, your childhood passion. Yeah. To go into this new sport that you little that you knew maybe little about, yeah. Um, but it, it was absolutely the right decision, Nicola, yeah. because you, you dropped down from two forty nine yeah. to a two thirty six in Amsterdam, and a bit later on maybe we'll talk about London and that two thirty three yeah. would put you in the top ten ranking and still is in the top ten ranking of all time in terms of female marathon performance. So maybe could you tell us about that part of your story, that massive improvement from, you know, from 257 to 249 to a 236 in Amsterdam in October, 2013. So, no, it's a really good question. So I was running with the running club (coughs) from the September and I fractured my pelvis in the March and I had been hoping to do the Rome marathon and I fractured my pelvis during a 10-mile race two weeks before the marathon. And it took us about seven weeks to figure out that it was a fractured pelvis. Um, absolute nightmare. So the physio just wasn't until I got an MRI scan. So I was hobbling about. didn't really know what was wrong with me. Very frustrating. So once we figured out that it was a, you know, a pelvic fracture, and then the thing about any stress fractures, all you can do is let them heal. Um, there's kind of... They do heal, but you just have to kind of rest. Um, so I did plenty of cross training, but I stopped trying to run because in the seven week period before we had it diagnosed, I was still trying to do runs, even though I'd probably die after about 30 seconds because it was the pain was so bad. But once I kind of let it heal, and then it, I looked at my training and I was like, right, I got a little bit, I, I realized that I was kind of doing. I just couldn't say no to anything. So if I did a training session with the club on a Monday, 
and somebody asked me to go for a run afterwards I would <laughs> so yeah. I just that was my problem so then after that I really kind of got my training just myself actually I just kind of um did an interval session on a Tuesday I did a tempo run every Thursday um had my long run on a Sunday and then kind of three other days in the week I kind of just did like a steady 10 miler um and that seemed to really work so by the time I came around to Amsterdam um I felt great I mean of all the marathons I've done that's definitely my best marathon it mightn't be my PB but I ran it perfectly I ran it even splits felt great the whole way around you know it was fantastic you know obviously it was a bit hard the last few miles but um yeah I felt amazing doing it it was just I just paced it perfectly yeah. Uh, and were you self-coach Nicola at the time yeah. or did you have a coach yeah self-coached at the time yeah wow yeah yeah and yeah. it just goes to show maybe that I mean th- there was no rocket science there just reps on a Tuesday tempo on a Thursday long run at the weekend uh, and three other 10 mile runs um, so you know it, it seems that if you have the natural talent or just just the trust in it and just get the basics right and that worked for you yeah, I would definitely say that. And I mean, my Sunday run that I did, I had just done a couple of times actually before Amsterdam, but I did. I continued it up to London. There was a group of guys, it was called the Harrison Park Run. Um, and you could do either 16 miles, 19 miles, or there was a 20 mile version as well. And basically you'd start off easy and we'll get quicker. And then by the time we got to the last five or six miles, it was just like balls out to the end. And I mean, it was a tough run, tough run. But honestly, the improvements I made from just doing that, even just a few times, it just made you really sharp for when you were tired in a race. Um, so they were great. And that was just like a local group of guys. It wasn't even with a club or anything. And they're still sure. going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you get any, say, VO2 max testing done at the time, Nicola? Um, just to try and understand where that incredible ability came from i mean is it just is it is it nature nurture all the years running around the tennis court or or did you have this just incredible natural um physical build it's it's really interesting because i got a vo2 max test done for a friend about a year ago she was doing um a phd and one of her um things that she was studying she needed a couple of guinea pigs so she did my vo2 max and my vo2 max was i think 74 wow Um, yeah yeah, so that was you know that was like you know at 37 or whatever um um when i wasn't doing all the marathon training but it kind of showed that i did have very good lung capacity um and i I just think i just had a good people used to say you have a good engine you know i couldn't run i don't really get out of breath yeah that that combined with just um a natural strength I think uh, as well um, you knocked out the 236 yeah. I'm sure that probably brought you to the to, to, the, to the attention of Athletics Ireland um, yeah. from maybe an international um, point of view and running internationally for Ireland yeah. was it after that that you got the call up to run in the half marathon world championships for yeah. the following March 
So it was actually after I did, because I think you'd mentioned before how in spring of the, that year, I did like loads of half marathons all really close together. And you're wondering about the logic of that. Um, yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Nicola. I yeah. might just say to the listeners, I have it here in front of me. Between yeah. February 2nd and yeah. 16th of March 2014, you knocked out four international class half marathons in Watford, Barcelona, where you are second, and Watford you won. You yeah. won in Inverness and you won in Cyprus as well. In yeah. one hour 14, one hour 12, one hour 13, one hour 14. Yeah. And then you were due to run two weeks later in the yeah. World Half Marathon Championships in Copenhagen. Yeah. An incredible set of results, an incredible load on the legs. Yeah. And yeah, I'm dying to hear about the rationale behind it and how your body responded. I only got asked to run for the World Championships after Barcelona. Okay. So that was never in the rate, that was never in the plan. Barcelona was a target race. That was like, you know, at Christmas time when I was planning my year out, a friend of mine had said Barcelona's a really fast half. You know, it's a really good one to do. They get good standard. Um, so I kind of had aimed, that was like a target one. So I did yeah. Watford just as kind of like a training run just to kind of get some pacing in the legs because there was no half marathons up in Scotland that had places left in them. Okay. I just wanted to get, you know, just wanted to practice, you know. Um, yeah. Watford, yeah, Watford's quite a hilly one, but it was great actually. I had a great time in Watford. Really, and that, at the time, that was when I, that was about a four minute PB I got in Watford. And it set me up perfectly for Barcelona, actually. You know, I kind of knew I could push a little bit further. And Barcelona, I just had a great day. And it was really interesting. You mentioned that I came second. But the lady that won it, she was exactly seven minutes to the second ahead of me. But she set a new world record. Wow. Wow. Incredible. 12-12. And she did a 105-12. Now, she had all her... She was um South Africa. She was an African lady. I can't even remember her name. That's how bad I am at these things. And um, she had like everybody supporting her. And as Dave said, it was so funny watching her come in. And she had like a little group around her who were like protecting her and you know making sure that there was nothing in her way. And then I just rocked up in my yellow shorts. You know, seven minutes later, all on my own. Sure, sure. the cynic in me, uh, Nicola, has to ask: um, Did that athlete? Um, did she ever test positive? Um, is a world record still in place? Yeah, I'm pretty sure Dave said something a couple of years ago that he'd seen something about her, actually. So, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think okay. you could be right. <laughs> so Barcelona never came knocking on your door anyway to, no, to give you the, no. the, the, the belated victory. I was just delighted, and it was actually really exciting yeah, sure. at the time at Barcelona to be around because it was you know, there was so much media because this lady had just won, got a new world record. So it was actually really exciting just to be around that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I really Inverness, I... the reason I had done Inverness was I had got an invite from it. And it was a race you got a thousand pounds for if you won it. <laughs> wow. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. A nice payday. Yeah, I mean, that I've never got that kind of money for a race ever. So um, that was why I entered Inverness. And it was actually only about a week after Barcelona that Ireland mentioned about Copenhagen. Um, and I remember at the time thinking, yeah, it wasn't really in my plan, but we'll, you know, I'll, I'll do it. And I'd already committed to doing Inverness. So, yeah, in, in hindsight, it was absolutely madness. And I think um, 
Copenhagen was only two weeks before London Marathon. So yeah. we, I did have that decision at the time, you know, is it a bit too soon? Because London was obviously my the target race that I really wanted to do well in. Um, and I did it and I tore my hamstring on the start line. Um, I'd had a bit of a niggle during the week and I thought it had settled, but it obviously hadn't. And it was awful. Like I literally tried to run maybe 500 metres and had to crawl back to the start line. No yeah, but but incredibly, then two weeks later, you got yeah. to the start line in London, yeah, and you absolutely smashed it there with yeah. the ninth quickest Irish marathon time of all time with two hours 33, yeah, um, and a first place in terms of UK residency as well. And yeah. um, so, just behind all the African runners, you were yeah. the first one home, yeah. So I didn't have an elite start, um, but I was the first person in the non-elite start. And um, my elite, my time was actually better than a lot of the elite runners that were had been running. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah. incredible. And that just stayed, it just went perfect for you, did it? Well, actually, it's funny you say that. Because I'd had such a disaster with Copenhagen, the two weeks of running up to London were awful because I had to see the physio. I was trying to get my hamstring healed in time. Um, so I had a week where I didn't run at all and just cross-trained lots. And then on the Sunday before London, I managed to run where it didn't hurt. So then I started to think, okay, maybe maybe I can still do London. Um, but I ended up running a lot more the week before London just for my own confidence. So it was kind of like a pretty, pretty rubbish taper. So when I got to London, you know, yeah, I mean, I had been training for a sub 230. Um, but yeah, just with everything that happened, I was delighted with my 233. But it definitely wasn't the perfect race in lots of ways. Um, I knew I had a faster time in me. You know, okay. my 12 in Barcelona would have suggested that as well. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I'm sure everybody back home at the time would have noticed that incredible time. And yeah. you, I, I think you, you probably would have been the, the first, the top Irish ranked Irish marathon roadrunner at the time as well. Yeah. Right. But then if people were to Google your, your road um, results, all of a sudden your road results stop after 2014. Yeah. These incredible results in 2013, 2014. I remember Nicola back, uh, back then, like friends of mine in Rafarnham, in Rahini were telling me about this girl, Nicola Duncan, who was cleaning up everywhere. But then <laughs> you, just, you just disappeared. Yeah. Um, what happened? Injury. Injury on end. Yeah. I had an awful time. I was meant to run for Ireland in the European Championships in August so after London you know that was kind of my goal and I picked up a few niggles but I was training away I went to Portugal for 10 days training which I had a really really good training there actually and then I got back from Portugal on the Sunday and when I went for my run on the Monday something just kind of clicked in my hamstring it just didn't feel right um and then I went to my intervals on the Tuesday and it just yeah just tore it um so I never made it to um Zurich for the Europeans which mentally was very very tough because after Copenhagen I really wanted to kind of get the chance to have an Irish fest again and yeah. you know and so that was really tough to take you know not even getting there and you know my family had booked flights over and obviously none of us went um and then I think I tried too hard to get back to where I was 
I just kept mm. getting injured. I had two stress fractures in my in my heels, my calcaneal. I really wrecked my hamstring. The hamstring that I really wrecked took over a year, year and a half to fix. Surgery was suggested and everything. And in the end, shockwave therapy really helped. And then my hamstrings are great now. I have no issues with them at all. Really, wow. really lucky because they were such a mess. Um, I fractured my pelvis again. Um, so I just had an absolute nightmare for a few years. And yeah. then I decided, like, I just can't do this to myself anymore. I can't just keep, you know, just getting back to it, getting ready to do another marathon and then just getting another injury. So I was like, something has to change. I don't, I really love running and, and I love training, but I can't keep doing this to myself mentally because it was just, I was in such a dark place, to be yeah. honest. Yeah, and looking back now, Nicola, you know, a couple of years down the line, and maybe to close off this section of the interview, what's your overriding feelings looking back on those incredible years on one side with all those brilliant wins and marathon performances, but then the the hurt at the end of it all as well? How how do you feel looking back at it all? I don't think it was worth it. Really? Wow. People say about my times and they say, gosh, that's amazing. You know, nobody can ever take those times away from you. And I don't really think, for me, past times are just past times. You know, you're only as good as your next event. You know, it's, um, so I don't really take the same pride in them that some people do. And people are always quite surprised at this. Like when I talk about my running, I, I very, very rarely mention any of my road times and my road races. It's kind yeah. of kind of put it into a little box. <laughs> yeah, and and yes. I'm sure you won't mind me just sharing maybe a little bit of the conversation that we had in Argentina at the yeah. Trail Run World Championships, where this was before COVID nineteen, and yeah, we were in still within the the Tokyo Marathon qualifying yeah. window, and I remember you were telling me about your times and your past road performances. And I remember asking you, um, yeah. would you be interested in in trying to go for a marathon time to qualify for the Olympics, which yeah. you, you would be capable of if you put yeah. your mind to it. And I remember you were saying to me, no, oh, no interest at all, that yeah. you were just happy out on the trails and on the mountains. Yeah, I think that's it. It's like, and when I when after I came back after that last injury, I said, I'm going to try something a bit different. You know, maybe I'll give this trail running Larky go and I got a pair of trail shoes and I was so rubbish because I'd never been on trails much you know and hills so I've always good going up the hills but anything technical I was a disaster the first time I went up Arthur's seat in Edinburgh I am my friend who was with me like had to hold my hand and some bits I was like crying I was so bad but I was like this is a new challenge you know you know if I practice this I get better on this and I actually quite enjoyed it. It was quite nice just exploring it. Um, and um, I kind of got the bug really quickly. Um, and then I did like a couple of local trail races. I mean, I wasn't even getting anywhere near the top of them at all because I was just getting back into it after like a couple of hard years. Yeah. And just after, it was kind of three and a half years ago, my mum actually, she passed away, which is very sad, very sudden. And I just decided I wanted to do an ultra <laughs> and I entered the Connemara Thon, which was um, an ultra in Connemara just because it was summer. She really liked to run or so she really liked to walk with my dad. Um, and so suddenly I had a new goal on, but it wasn't like a time focused one. It wasn't like 
you know, doing London or Dublin and you want a time, it was just like, can I run 39.3 miles in the hills? And um, I did it. And I mean, yeah. I couldn't it, you know, and I won it. Um, but I just didn't expect it to at all. It was very emotional. And my dad came to the top of the last hill to cheer me on. It was amazing. And I kind of got the bug then. And I was like, that was a lot. It was a lot more of an enjoyable experience. Than yeah. And, and, and you've been you've been winning ever since, Nicola. And, you know, yeah, class, yeah. class is permanent. And that talent yeah. that people saw on the roads, it might have maybe taken a year or two to come through in the mountains. But once it came true, um, yeah. you've been picking up silverware ever since. I saw a quote from you saying that you love the freedom of it. Yeah. And being outdoors and and nobody is asking you what your mile or kilometer splits are exactly i mean i only to give you a laugh so i used to have a garmin watch back when i was marathon training and then after my last injury i just didn't bother and i only actually got you know a gps watch last september so i was doing all of my running with no watch no clue what pace i was going at and the only reason I got the GPS watch was because I was starting to explore a lot more and I was always getting lost. <laughs> so uh, I got the watch so that I could kind of, you know, plan my routes and upload them so to try and help me not get lost so much. Um, but there was something really nice about that. You know, I had no idea how fast I was going yet. It was just purely by feel. Um, and that seemed to work for me, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, great. And, and uh, you know, for, for people listening in, Nicola, um, as I said at the start of the interview, that last week you knocked out a 33-mile training run, no problem at all, to go and visit your friend. Yeah. Now you're pretty much injury-free. Yeah. You can keep on going. You've got this incredible engine. Um, yeah. What tips can you give to people who are training for ultras, training for trail races? Because I know you've got a whole set of um, special training activities that you do, yeah. ranging from, I don't know if you still do your hot vinyasa yoga to pilates to strength and core work. What are the things that you're incorporating now into your training that enable you to keep going over 30 miles injury-free? You know, it's a really good question. And as I said, a lot of this has been kind of learned the hard way. You can't just run. You have to, like, especially as you get older, Owen, as well, you know, your body needs to, it needs supported. Pilates has been massive for me because Pilates is all about strengthening the stabilizing muscles, you know, the muscles that support you when you run. And um, they're little muscles and they're not even the ones you see. But if you strengthen them up, you move a lot better, a lot of mobility work. So Pilates was huge, definitely, for, especially I had a lot of problems kind of fracturing my pelvis and things. Um, yeah. My hamstrings, my glutes weren't working. So kind yeah. of um, I found as I got into the Pilates, you know, I, I learned about my body a lot more. I could tell where it was weak, where I need to work on it. Um, and I do a lot of kind of um, circuit style stuff outside. I, I train with the group in Edinburgh called Race Fitness. Um, I did a lot of obstacle course racing stuff with them. And, you know, they're great fun, but they actually make you a lot stronger and a lot more robust. You know, you're climbing over stuff, you're climbing under things, you know, with jumping over stuff. Um, and that makes your body as a whole strong. It's not just like your legs. Um, I look back at pictures of when I was just running uh, road marathons, you know, when I was a little twiglet, you know. Yeah. <laughs> happened too. Yeah. I remember seeing some photographs um, just earlier on, Nicola, of you running back in 2013 and 2014. Yeah. And you can tell the difference, can't you? Yeah. Um, like you, you have that kind of African, 
African lean look about you yeah. back then, where, where now you're a lot healthier and stronger yeah. running, yeah. but you can go further yeah. and longer, you know? Yeah, exactly. So it's it's been a completely different mindset, you know, and it's a, um, it makes you kind of want to explore and see new places and... Um, you know, when I did when I did the London Marathon, like I can I can honestly tell you now, like the only bit I remember in detail was going over the bridge. That was at the halfway mark. That was quite cool. Um, but the rest of it, like it was just, you know, you weren't seeing anything. It was just buildings. And then yeah. I think when I like all the other run- runs I do now, and it's like you just get to see such amazing stuff. It's great. Uh, you know, we were both in Patagonia last year for the World Mountain Championships. And, I mean, everything about that was just stunning. Um, on the course I did, you know, we went to the very top of one mountain and there was snow on it still. You know, it was it was something else. So um, it just makes it a lot more interesting and it makes you appreciate just how beautiful the world we live in, you know. Yeah, sure. You, you mentioned your Pilates work. Um, would you do that? every week every day Nicola or how often do you do it or do you still do it a few exercises I do every day Owen actually um some glute activation and mobility stuff just five or ten minutes when I get up in the morning but I would do well I know I know from looking at your Facebook feed um uh, if if you're out running or training you tend to do this special pose I think with your back leg up (laughs) um standing on one leg that's that's probably a Pilates pose is it it's not it's a yoga pose and would you believe that's a complete joke it started in Patagonia when I was out with um Ian and Gav and uh we were like somewhere in one of these forests and there was amazing views and Gav said oh we should do a yoga pose here because he does a lot of yoga and uh it's not even a proper yoga pose it's like a pretty poor effort um at one but it's kind of stuck since then it's kind of turned into a joke so all of my friends in Edinburgh now they'll they'll do the pose and they'll tag me on it we're doing the Nicola pose <laughs> very very good but that's um, started, yeah in terms of nutrition Nicola any good tips that you can pass on because to be to be running thirty miles in training, um, yeah. you need to be fueled right, oh, and then you also need to recover right as well. So I presume your nutrition must be really on point. It's a, no, it's it's a really good question, and I've started working with Robbie Brishan actually, um, just over a year ago, and Robbie's been fantastic. You know, he's got so much experience, and he's really helped me. But you know, one of the things he's helped me with more than I would have expected is my nutrition and my fueling. You know, if I'm going out for a long run, you mentioned that 33-mile run I did last week. You know, you're not just fueling for the run you're doing, you're fueling for your recovery. So the better you eat on a training run that's long, the better you'll be able to go out the next day and go for a run. Like, I went out for a 16-mile run on the next day. Legs were a bit tired, but, you know, they weren't too bad, considering I had done a 33-mile run the day before. And a lot of that was down to the fact that I had, like, you know, fueled myself really well during the run um and I think yeah. that's massive you know it's and I think back when I was doing my marathon runs my long runs I wouldn't eat anything I wouldn't drink anything you know yeah I, sure yeah I ended yeah. up rip after one of my marathons one year because I was so dehydrated wow so, and I know you mentioned to me that um you found Morton is very yeah, good the, right. the, the drink that um Kipchoge used in a yeah. sub two hour attempt um yeah. that that's been very good for you it's been great, actually, because Robbie suggested it because, um, you know, sometimes I struggle, particularly when the weather is hot, to eat a lot of stuff. Um, and Morton has a huge amount of carbohydrates in it. Um, it's got the highest kind of 
proportion of carbohydrates in it that won't bother your stomach and it's been it's been like a really revelation actually you know if you can drink that they have ones in different intensity as such so i always have the one that's the most intense um but yeah it's great it's really good stuff yeah really good stuff really yeah. Yeah. and i mean not only are you training hard Nicola, but i mean you work very hard as well i mean mm-hmm. i know that you've got long work days and yeah. a lot of these training runs that you're doing you're getting yeah. up at five o'clock six o'clock in the morning and um, yeah. how do you manage to balance that because you know, a, a lot of people listening at home, I'm sure they're in the same boat. They're trying to combine work, family, friends with their training as well. How, how do you get your head around that? No, it's a really good question. And it's something I think that everybody probably struggles with on some level. And I think it's about figuring out what your priorities are. I'm probably considered very boring in lots of ways. <laughs> you know, my running is my social life. Um you know, I meet up, I go for a run with my friends and um, and that's what I would consider my social life. So I don't really go out, <laughs> you know, that's how I catch up with people. And I've got my dog, Senna, um, so I go for like long walks with him and I'll meet friends who and come for a walk with me. But I would say, you know, I go to bed early. I'm really boring. You know, I try and go to bed at nine every night, half nine at the latest, I read my book for a bit. And it's the only way you can, for me, you know, if you're working, and I do work long hours, and I get most of my running done in the mornings during the week, um, yeah. and I think it's the only way you can't do everything. Something has to give, um, and I'm I'm quite healthy. I don't get sick. You know, I'm touch wood. I've got a good immune system, and a lot of that is because, like, you know, I prioritize going to bed early and things, and. I don't, yeah. you know, and I don't stay out late. But and, and I know before you've spoken as well about in terms of mental strength that it's so important to have it very clear in your mind why you're training for a race or why you're doing a race. Yeah. And I know that's something that you've worked on over the years as well. And, and, and you know exactly why you're training and why you're racing. Yeah, exactly. And it, that's really important. Mm. And I mean, we all have days where we just... I call it CBA, can't be arsed, mm. when, you just, you know, <laughs> when you just don't feel like it. And that's actually okay. And sometimes, you know, if you really don't feel like it, you know, just give yourself, you know, look at your plan, think, right, if I don't do this session, you know, can I jig things around and make, have my rest day today and maybe do that session later in the week or kind of swap a run? Because sometimes you just don't feel like doing an interval session. You might be a bit mm. tired, a bit stressed out at work. Mm. Um, and actually maybe it's not the best thing for you to go and push yourself in a, for intervals. So I can be quite flexible like that. And I think that's quite important because it's meant to be fun. It's what we do in our spare time. And I know as well that you have a special um, friend that you run for as well. Your friend Kat, who, who's a great inspiration for you. She is. Kat's amazing. So this is one of my running buddies, actually. And she had a really bad accident just exactly a year ago. And, and um, she came off her mountain bike in Mortine in France. And she um, she's now paralyzed. So she uh, broke her back and her neck. And she's in a wheelchair. Um, and so some days when I can't be arsed, um, I just think, well, I'm so lucky I can actually go out for a run. You know, yeah. of I can't. Um, and she's she's a wonderful person. She loves hearing about my runs, and she likes me to take photos where I am, so she can see it. And you know, one of my goals this year was to um, I was fundraising for her to get a bike for her to get out into the trails, one of these super duper bikes. 
uh, Bowhead, but it's like massively expensive. Um, and Madeira, the race I was supposed to be doing in April, was a fundraiser for her. But um, I'm now planning to do um FKT attempt of the five okay. path. So at the end of August, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of when you, you know, when you're having days where you just don't feel like it, just sorting out your why. Yeah. And just thinking. Yeah. 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 Well, it sounds like the, the two of you are, are a great inspiration for each other. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned 2019 was such a great year for you. You, you were over in UTMB as well. Yeah. Where a lot of Irish runners are, are going over to. You were 26th in the OCC. Yeah. 47th in the World Championships in Patagonia with yeah. Angela and Becky Quinn and the Irish team. And yeah. um, Listen, 2020, who knows what's going to happen racing-wise. But yeah. over the next couple of years... Let's say we get back to normal, Nicola. Yeah. Um, w- what are your plans and, and objectives? Are you still as competitive as ever? You know, do, do you want to go back to UTMB and knock out a, I don't know, a top 10, move up in the world championship rankings, keep on cleaning up over in Scotland and maybe back home in Ireland as well? W- what are your thoughts on that? You know, they're really, and I think a lot of things you mentioned are all in my goals. Um, I would like to do the full UTMB. That's probably going to be a couple of years away. I was supposed to do the CCC this year, which is the 100K one, um, which has been postponed till next year. Um, and I would like to do that. And I wouldn't like just to be making up numbers. I'd like to put in a good effort um, and, you know, get over there and train for it. I loved, I did the route over four days last year. And it really inspired me. I was like, I would love to do this. And usually I quite like low-key races, you know, where not like a big fuss and stuff. But I think that one is quite special. Um, I would like to do a lot more in Ireland as well, Owen. I haven't done that many races yeah. in Ireland. Um, and there's some fantastic stuff out there, you know. So that's, that's been kind of one of my aims, to, you know, do more of the races in the Irish scene. And I really enjoyed getting to meet all of the team in Patagonia, like yourself. Um yeah. And, and that uh, was your first cap for Ireland. Um, was it, Nicola, since the, um, the half marathon attempt? The trail one in Portugal, that was in June. And then Patagonia was the second one. Wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, so last year was a special year, you know, kind of six years on from everything that went wrong. And I finally got to get my cap and finish the race. <laughs> and to get your green jersey. Well, listen, Nicola, I, I've no doubt you're going to get many more um, Irish jerseys, Irish singlets over the next couple of years and, and many more podiums as well. Um, Nicola, it, it's been fascinating to, to chat to you. Um, you're the absolute personification of positivity, strength, goodwill and you know i'm sure so many people can can take so much from your experiences over the last couple of years and um, before we finish off nicola maybe a, a nice simple question for you something that we ask everybody um your favorite place to train what, what is it so that's a brilliant question so in edinburgh i love arthur's seat it's just you know it's about a mile and a half from my flat it's like has everything in it you know we say we have four seasons at Arthur's seat 
and um, we've all sorts of trails we've got the hills we've got the scrambly bits so whatever run you need if you want to do flat stuff if you want to do hilly stuff it's got everything um so i would say that's probably i've got lots of favorite places on this is really tough <laughs> sure and one last one then if i can your favorite piece of kit as you're running on these 30 mile training runs and running all over europe and um, well, what bit of kit do you love having nicola with you so that's another really good question. So I've got two things, depending if it's summer or winter. So the winter, my favorite thing is my montane gloves because my hands are always really cold. So my sure. montane gloves keep my hands really toasty. They're amazing. And in the summer, I love my good or sunglasses. I've got them in four <laughs> colors. <laughs> I even got a pair with shamrocks on them that I got last year for the world championships. They're brilliant. So yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, if there's any marketing people, uh, Nicola, <laughs> listening in, anybody that works for any sporting companies, sign this girl up. Uh, she would be an absolute credit to whatever brand you might have. Uh, Nicola Duncan, may we wish you continued success over the next couple of years and look forward to seeing you racing for Ireland and in Ireland and all around the world, um, hitting the trails and getting on more and more podiums. Thank you so much, Owen, and lovely to chat to you. Yeah. All the best, Nicola. Take care. Take care now. Bye. Well, guys, that's a wrap for episode seven. I hope you enjoyed it. And what a way to finish with the inspirational story of Nicola Duncan, who came back from an injury nightmare back in 2014 and 2015 to become the Irish and Scottish ultra trail running champion. And it just goes to show, guys, that if you're in a bit of a low at the moment, if you're out, if you're injured, and if you think there's no way back, there's always a solution. You might just have to work hard and do some research and get some good people around you. Just like Nicola did and learn some new skills such as Pilates or yoga or whatever it might be to get you back up and running and boy did Nicola show us what can be done she's also a great role model as well so if you have any young athletes in the house whether they're runners or not especially any girls out there who are just starting out in the sport it's certainly an interview that I'll be playing for my daughter over the next couple of years telling the story of a five foot one absolute pocket rocket a dynamo from Taylor's Hill in Galway who is conquering the mountains all around the UK and Ireland and indeed further afield as well. Everybody have a great week's training, enjoy the races over the next couple of weeks get your running gear on, let's go